The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 12, the special, it's always special, I guess, post-Super Bowl edition. Um, You have reached your best place, as always, for talking about cigars or Chicago sports, and we generally talk about some other sports as well. So let's set the scene. We are at the place, 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. We're sitting in the back room. We're smoking a cigar, just having a great time over here. We got some sports on in the background, exactly what you would say. You know, there's a giant cloud of smoke. So that's the scene for you, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove. Please follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. And you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. But you probably figured that out because you're listening to it right now. So let's bring in the trusty co-host, as always, uh, Phil Sullivan. Phil, how's it going? What are you smoking? Uh, how's life? Uh, life is great because I'm uh, heading to Florida in a couple of days, so <laughs> going to get even better by Friday. Getting ready for my vacation, so I lit up a Liga Provada T52 this evening. Uh, probably one of the best medium blend cigars uh, I've ever found. Great cigar, a um, little on the pricey side, but uh, it's a nice treat every now and then. Amazing. You were about to refer to yourself in the third person, which you caught yourself, so I thought that was good. At least you didn't say it was a go-to. I am smoking a, also by complete and total coincidence, a Drew Estate Liga Pravada number 9 Maduro. Really like this thing a lot. Not my normal cigar, but uh, it's really fun. So what are we going to talk about tonight? So we're going to be guest-heavy, very special show tonight. For our cigar discussion, we are going to have Howard Gums Jr. of Howard G. Cigars. Joining Howard is going to be two-time Super Bowl champion Ike Taylor, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is working with Howard on an all-pro cigar series, and we're going to talk to those guys about what they have going on, and we're going to have a Super Bowl champion, so we'll have an opportunity to recap on the Super Bowl a little bit. But... First, and with us throughout the entire show tonight, we are going to bring in a Chicago sports media legend. If you have listened to Chicago Sports Talk Radio over the last 40 years, you know Fred Hubner. Many years on the Score Morning Show with Mike North, you might remember. Most recently on ESPN 1000. He's now a highly popular uh, podcast, amazingly based out of the same town that we are in Downers Grove. So we're going to talk to Fred about a variety of topics and maybe most importantly, his career. Welcome into Cigars and Sports Chicago, Fred Hubner. Fred, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're doing great, Fred. It's a pleasure to meet you. We're honored to have you on the show. I listened to your show last night, Hubes, Views, and Brews. Pretty interesting. Like your guy, uh, Fat Mike there, was a really good listen. Got a good uh, Super Bowl breakdown. You know, got to hear some rants from you guys, so I thought it was interesting. So maybe we'll uh, reprise a couple of those. So I wanted to talk a little bit about you, Fred. But I guess, first of all, two days off the Super Bowl, what did you think? How'd you like the game? What were the highlights? My one highlight was uh, Vernon Hargraves running onto the field, not in uniform, getting a personal foul. I have no friggin' idea like what was going on in that guy's head, but what's your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Yeah, that guy, I would have sent him home immediately at that point. They let him sit on the bench the rest of the game. I wouldn't have done that. I thought the Super Bowl was a good game. Uh, I was looking for a little more offense, but I'm not surprised we didn't see it. 
I thought, especially after Odell Beckham Jr. went down, the um, you know the Rams didn't have a whole lot of offensive weapons. They could not run the ball. They tried over and over again, and Cincinnati played very, very well defensively. Uh, but I think going in, everybody knew that this game was going to be played out depending on how good the uh, offensive line of Cincinnati held up, and ultimately, that's what happened. I mean, Joe Burrow sacked seven times. They just didn't get the opportunity to get the ball to enough to his receivers and things like that, and uh, I think that was the reason that Cincinnati, as you can probably tell by the way I'm talking about it, I was pulling for the Bengals. Um, and it's funny too, cause I was also listening to, uh, uh, Michael Wilbon and I'm glad he agreed with me because I'm getting so tired of people talking about Jalen Ramsey, such a, a great cornerback. Jalen Ramsey got beat in just about every single postseason game the Rams played this year. And, uh, you know, it's not like a Deion Sanders or one of these other guys. He gets beat all the time, but he's a big mouth guy and he likes to talk his, talk it up. He was bad when he left Jacksonville. He was bad. Um, so yeah, he's very, very good. He gets a lot of great reputation, but it, it was nice to see Matthew Stafford, I guess, after all these years in Detroit, get an opportunity to come. But I mean, you look at it and basically the Rams did what the NBA has been doing for a long time. They went out, didn't worry about draft picks or anything else. And what they did was they just picked up the best players they can possibly get, and it worked out for them. Yeah, and it's bizarre because some guys just go on reputation, and it just appears that Jalen Ramsey is just one of those guys. We may have an expert to ask soon about what he thinks about him. Jalen Ramsey just seems like he's one of those guys who he's a trash talker. He clearly is good, but he's one of those guys where if he's not taking the ball away, then he seems to get burned quite a bit. I also thought, and I heard your observations on this last night, so I'd like to hear that. I thought the call situation was interesting, how there basically were no penalties for the first 56 minutes or so, and then all of a sudden every play was a penalty, and not yeah. to mention they were missing offsides. There was that missed face mask penalty. It was unbelievable. You look at it, and it was like 58 minutes and 36 seconds or something like that, where they really call, didn't call any penalties, including the face mask. Uh, on T. Higgins when he went for the touchdown at the start of the second half. And then uh, all of a sudden they blow the, you know, people talk about the great drive by the Rams, but as it turned out, three, you know, three out of four plays, there were penalties called. And one of them was definitely a hold on Eli Apple. The other one, uh, I didn't hear anybody say that that was a hold or a pass interference on the linebacker. So that, that for a lot of people, ruined it, uh, the end of it a little bit. It wasn't quite the drive that you would have thought of uh, with everything being well, good because they get a lot of opportunities and they missed a false start. They, the false start should have been, should have stopped the whistle before, uh, they called the pass interference call. It would have been a third down five yards further back. So just little things like that kind of, that's the only thing that for me, ruined the game just a little bit. You know, it's funny because it was a close game. So it was a really interesting game, but it was not a great game. There's not a lot of memorable plays. You know, it was close. It was entertaining. It was obviously good from a wagering standpoint because it was close, but it it wasn't a terrific game. I just don't remember a lot of big plays. And And the other thing is too, can we finally now admit that Cooper Cup is just ridiculous? I mean, the guy is ridiculous. And now I'm starting to think maybe, maybe he should have been the NFL MVP for the season now that it's become the most valuable quarterback award. But Cooper Cup, you know, just another great game. Thought that jet sweep, you know, was unbelievable for that first down, that clutch situation. Just absolutely fantastic. Cooper Cup is a guy, to, to me, he deserved to be the MVP of the league. Uh, the quarterbacks have 
you know, all their wide receivers, everybody else, they get all the protection. Cooper Cup, what he did in winning the Triple Crown for the wide receivers with catches and yards and also with touchdowns, I thought he definitely deserved more than one vote for the MVP award. And I think he showed it, too, in the Super Bowl. You know, four for four, uh, Stafford and him four for four down that drive for 39 yards and the touchdown. You get two touchdowns in the game. Uh, in the Super Bowl, I thought it was a tremendous uh, way for them to go out. So, Fred, last question for you on the Super Bowl before we move to uh, to cigars. Is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. Uh, he basically just had his playoff wins are basically just this year. Um, so it's tough to go into Hall of Fame with, what, uh, a couple of playoff wins and one Super Bowl? I mean, there are other quarterbacks that have, had, have won more Super Bowls. Jim Plunkett won two. He's not in the Hall of Fame. There are other quarterbacks that have had better records uh, with their teams. Just because it's the uh, you know the hot topic of the day, everyone's putting him in the in the Hall of Fame. And I know he's got some guys on ESPN, Dan Orlovsky, who used to be his backup quarterback in Detroit, and he's uh, you know he's tooting the horn for Matthew Stafford. But in my opinion, yeah, you know, he's got to prove a little bit more. Um, really good quarterback. But I don't think he's a Hall of Fame guy. Well, it's interesting. You look at his numbers, and I think he's 12th overall, you know, all time in yards and 12th in touchdowns. I mean, his numbers are pretty surprising. But yeah, I mean, a lot of empty calories there in Detroit for sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that'll, uh, it's just one of those, one of those interesting post Super Bowl topics that has come up, um, similar to, uh, you know, Sean McVay is now going to is now going to retire at age 36, but we can get to that another time. So let's now talk to Fred about Fred. So Fred, we know you just retired from ESPN 1000, a legendary 40 yeah. year career in Chicago sports media. You know, you're doing your podcast now. As you look back on your 40 years, which I guess you started thinking about a little bit and your your legacy, what do you see as the highlights or maybe a couple things that you're most proud of? One of the things that when I was growing up, I knew I never wanted, when I was in high school, my dad was involved in uh, the Chicago Cougars hockey team, WHA team, and also uh, the Chicago Bulls, getting them on Channel 44. This is when I was a sophomore in high school. So as I got through high school and looked at the next step, I knew I never wanted to take math or science ever again. Uh, so I went to broadcasting school and then I got lucky. Sports phone started a year after I got out of broadcasting school. But highlight wise, there aren't many people that can grow up in Chicago and do what they want to do when it comes to media in Chicago. I was told by Dave Baum, who used to do radio and WIND in Chicago, and they call him the chat champ, and he was all over the place. And he said, you know, you may have to go somewhere else to establish a career before coming back to Chicago. And I know a lot of people that have done that. My situation was my wife did, my wife had a nice job. I wasn't going to have her leave. Her family was here. My family was here. So I just stuck it out. And um, Sports Phone started when I was just two years out of high school, and I was able to get a job when I was 20 doing that. And I worked at Sports Phone, for those who don't know, before the internet, before ESPN and everything, you would just dial 976-1313 in your touchstone phone, and we'd give you all the scores in a 59-second message. And so I did. I worked there from 77 to 90. The scores started in 92, and uh, there was no reason for Sports Phone because now people had pagers and all the other stuff. But when you look at highlights, not many people get the chance to do what I did, and that is Worked nine straight years in morning drive on radio in Chicago. I worked with Mike Murphy for five years in the mornings. I worked with Mike North for four years uh, over on the score. And um, that's pretty damned amazing. I mean, uh, right now, Jonathan Hood, who 
I was a, uh, he was my producer when I worked on some network radio for a while and, uh, he's gotten the opportunity and, you know, anybody that grows up and is a big sports fan, you can't even imagine what that means to do morning sports radio. Um, and I always said, it's funny for years, I'd getting up at two forty-five in the morning, quarter to three in th- getting down to the station, getting prepared for a five thirty or a six o'clock show. But, uh, there's no better time to do radio than the mornings because you get to react to the game the night before you're the first people. You don't have to wait all day and hear other people steal your ideas that, that you came up with while you were watching the game. And um, that was nice. So I think when you look at it, those were my highlights. I went to some Super Bowl radio rows and things like that. Those were nice. I met a lot of athletes, but getting the opportunity to, in my hometown, do radio was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I, I definitely listened to you all of those nine years driving to the city every day during the uh, Murph and Fred days and then during the uh, the Mike North days. So obviously, Mike North being a controversial and le- legendary character in this town. So what was it like working with that guy? Give us a good uh, North story. Um, you know, what, what do you got for us on that? You must have a ton of stuff. So many, so many stories. And I know some of them, I think you're waiting for when he puts a book out. He said most of the people have to pass away before he can do the book. But uh, yeah, he there were so many stories working with North because he was exactly what you heard on the radio. He was the guy that I knew people that didn't like him. And then they had a chance to meet him and they go, my God, he's awesome. Because he was just the guy that you would hang with in the bar, talking sports and arguing sports. He'd come up with a point, you'd disagree, you'd go back and forth all day long. He brought that to the radio. And he was never afraid or, you know, he's a city guy. I mean, he tells a story about how his guidance counselor in high school told him and his buddy, he said, you guys are never going to amount to anything. So they looked at each other and they said, well, why are we still here then? And they dropped out of high school. It's like, what's the point? So he made a living. Him and his wife got a, you know, the hot dog stand, BB's hot dogs. And what happened for him was he had bought time on a small local station that the guys from WXRT owned. And they would come into his hot dog stand and they would bring some of the music guys that were in town at XRT and they could come on, let's go for lunch. And they'd go over to BB's hot dogs. One day, Robert Plant walks in from Led (laughs) Zeppelin, walks in and North's talking to Robert Plant about all kinds of stuff about being in Chicago. Have you ever had an Italian beef, Robert? (laughs) But uh, yeah, he was just a Chicago guy and he made a great living. He was, he was never afraid to ask for what he wanted. And uh, because of that, he, he was the success that he, he'd been. So, yeah, it was fun. It was always fun working with him. It's funny because I remember a particular day listening to you guys, and that is the day when I realized that Mike North was not afraid to say anything about anything. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but it was the morning after Bill Wirtz died, and he was celebrating the death of Bill Wirtz. Do you remember that day? I don't. I don't remember it, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. Well, I remember because no one else was really rejoicing in a guy being dead. It was unbelievable. Hey, he was talking about it's the greatest thing ever to have in the Blackhawks, whatever. Well, actually, as it turned out, he was right. But it was clearly as irreverent as you could possibly get um, after the guy died the night before, which I thought was uh, was really, really funny. Fred, I got a question for you. I knew that you spent uh, some of your career uh, broadcasting and following professional soccer. Coming from Chicago and a generation where you more than likely never played the sport, let alone ever watched it or saw it, what got your interest into soccer? Well, when I was in high school, um, I didn't like 
We had a, a decent team in Morton East. Actually, there were two guys in Morton East. They were all staters. And um, when I was a sophomore or a junior, I think, we went downstate to Illinois State to watch him in the state finals. But I never liked the sport. And then in 1990, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot because WTBS, which, you know, was basically the Turner Broadcast System, they they decided to do the game. So TBS did the games. They had a guy named Bob Neal, who used to be the basketball play-by-play guy for TBS. He did the play-by-play, and Mick Luckers, the kicker for the Atlanta Falcons, did color commentary. And I sat down, and I watched the World Cup, and I, they explained the passion. They explained the rivalries. They explained the history, the rules. There are some rules, believe it or not, in soccer. And um, I just became a fan. And uh, after that, when the World Cup came here in 94, uh, I knew all the players. I knew the backup players from Cameroon. I had just thrown myself into it, and it was it was my guilty pleasure. I'd be talking baseball and basketball and everything else on the radio, but in my spare time, I'd be watching soccer if I could catch a game. And then the Chicago Fire started in 1998. I hung around for a while, was always there covering their games. They won their championship in the very first year of the franchise. And then I just was there. And then in 2007, um, I got a call at the radio station. They knew I was always there at the games. They were trying to put their last two games of the regular season in 07, two home games, on a different channel. They were on Sports Channel, I think, at the time. And they wanted to put two games on My 50. And um, they were looking for an announcer. So they had me and about three other guys come in for uh, basically an audition. So we watched the first half of a game from the week before. And we did play-by-play with a color commentator. And I got a call a week later. And they said, um, if you want to do it, the next two games are yours. I did the two final games in the 07 season. After never doing play-by-play of any kind, um, and did it on I did the uh, did it on my fifty um, with um, Amy Freeze, the former weather person. She was our sideline reporter, and Chris Doran, who now does it for the uh, Columbus Crew on radio. And um, I did the two games, including the game that clinched the playoff run for the Fire in '07. And then they had me back the next two years in '08 and '09, and um, I enjoyed every minute of it. Except the fact that they never, they always were, always made us wear suits. We had a game in Kansas City in the middle of summer in August, and Kansas City was a hundred and some degrees, and here we are with damn buttoned up collar and ties and everything else, sweating like pigs, doing our stand up at uh, before the game. Then at halftime, they go, "We want you on the camera again." I said, "You got to be kidding me!" I go, "I look like a, you know, I'm soaking wet, I'm dripping wet." But uh, yeah, it was a great time. I've tried to stick with it. I did podcasts for the Chicago Fire for a few years. We did a show on ESPN for four or five years in the mornings on Saturday. So I love the sport. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, I was listening to your show last week, and I know Steve's a NASCAR guy, and I, I, I gave that a try too. I headed over to the place the other day, and I met Steve, and we had a cigar. And, uh, you know, it's if you give sports a chance, certain sports a chance, um, it's like anything else. These guys are busting their tail. They're probably the best conditioned athletes out there. Between them and hockey, I think those are the two best. Um, football's tough to say best conditioned when you see guys like Akeem Hicks and with their bellies hanging over their their um, you know <laughs> uniforms and everything. But other than that, I just think it's 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 a great game. And plus, you know what? It takes takes ninety minutes. It's over in two hours. It starts at eleven. It's over by one. And um, you know, slowly but surely, more people are getting into it, and uh, 
you know, it, it was going to be the sport of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And it just continues to linger. And I don't care if anybody else likes it. I just enjoy it myself. So looking forward to the World Cup coming up this year. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned NASCAR, Fred, and that's sort of my guilty pleasure sport. And the way that I look at it is, fine, if if everyone else doesn't like it, I really don't care. I like it. I watch it. If you want to watch it, great. It's like when people say, are NASCAR drivers athletes? What I say is, I don't care whether they're athletes or not. I just like watching it. And by the way, um, most NASCAR drivers are amazing athletes just by, you know, for whatever reason, because they, you know, if you watch and but a lot of race car drivers are in different disciplines, but yeah, it's just something that's fun to watch. My only problem with, uh, with soccer is I just can't get used to the clock going in the wrong direction, you know, going up instead of down and, and never quite knowing when the game's going to end. Well, and that's one of the things that most of the people I know say the same thing because they'll say at the end of the first half, there's two minutes of stoppage time. But if those two minutes are gone and somebody had fallen down, then they just tack it out in their heads. And uh, so you're never really sure. And if, if the team that's trailing is making a push at the end of the game, they always let that last shot get off. And uh, so that makes it interesting. So why don't we, Fred, if you don't mind, let's do a quick get your take on a few. Uh, let's go around the horn on Chicago sports and get your take on a few items if that works for you. Sure. So the Bears obviously recently hired a new regime. Poles, Eberflus, Getze, you know, they, they've got an entire coaching staff hired now. So, you know, I mean, I know the real answer to this, no matter, no matter who you are, or what you think is, ask me in a year what their record was. But what's your reaction um, to the hires that the Bears have made um, this year? What do you, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts? Are you optimistic? Are you not? What are you thinking? The only thing that I can, I'm concerned about is that, again, the Bears went with first-time guys, first-time GM and a first-time head coach. They don't have experiences the first time they're doing it. And um, But everything I, I've heard from, about Matt Eberflus is a guy that uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts all seemed that they were sorry he was leaving because their defense stepped up. Um, it's funny, people criticize and they say, well, their defense didn't play well against Jacksonville at the end of the year. If you go back and look at that game, now, right, defense actually played well. There were two turnovers, and Jacksonville had great field position. That's why they ended up uh, beating the Colts in that final game and keeping the Colts out of the playoffs. But I thought one of the cool things that Eberflus did was he brought over two guys he knew from his defense that brought him over to join the Bears you know, coaching staff. And this way, even though he's not going to call the plays, he'll have a big hand in how the team is going to play defense, but he doesn't have to worry about calling it all day long. He can just worry about taking care of the game. Don't worry about offense. Don't worry about defense. You got guys you trust who can do those things. So I like that. Ryan Poles, let's see what you put together. It's interesting. He's an offensive guy, a lineman by trade. Uh, that's one thing we know that the Bears need. I don't know that the Bears' offensive line was as bad as the Cincinnati Bengals. It could have been better. Let's just put it that way and be nice. So uh, I'm eager to see what he does when he has no first-round draft pick. They don't have a lot of cap money. They got. They have one receiver right now uh, on the roster. Uh, I liked what they did last year when they brought in fast, speedy guys, but then it seemed that they were always hurt. They never used them. So I'm eager to see what they're going to do. I think all Bears fans are encouraged. That's where you, how you always get. If you remember, we were encouraged with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Uh, so we're going to have to wait and see. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it had to happen because you couldn't keep watching Matt Nagy anymore. 
Yeah, and I agree with you on the the fact that Iberflus is going to have some continuity on defense because he's got his own guys. I think that that will be um, really helpful. And I like the fact that when he was asked that question right from the press conference, are you going to call the defensive plays? He said no, meaning that he's already got a vision that he's going to be kind of that CEO coach. And, you know, some people, including Phil, by the way, have expressed some concern about a defensive minded head coach. And I don't mind that. At all, you know, because, you know, particularly if this Getsy guy works out, Justin Fields had a great point about that. He said that he likes the idea of having a defensive minded head coach because then he knows the offensive coordinator will be entirely focused on the offense and on him all of the time. There's no, you know, there's no game day decisions. There's no, you know, just overall, you know, being in front of the room, in front of all the guys. Um, there's nothing that that guy will have to worry about except for offense. And, you know, it seemed to work out pretty well you know in buffalo and it's worked out well in a variety of places so i don't think that you need to have you know the the mcveigh or shanahan you know kind of offensive guru and you know we obviously know how that worked out with Negi, and it doesn't mean because it didn't work out with Negi, couldn't work with somebody else but i like the idea of uh having a uh defensive minded coach as long as we got the right offense yeah I, you know steve I, i'm not horribly horribly against it but he is a 52 year old career defensive guy um and once again, I've said this in the past in an offensive league. And, you know, when it comes to Getze, you know, everybody is, you know, thrilled. This guy, you know, he came from Green Bay and worked with Aaron Rodgers. Well, you know, I look at it as, you know, all he had to do is get out of the way of Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, I don't know how much influence, you know, he might have had in, you know, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, being a multi-time MVP. Uh, if you're going to go back to it was, you know, Getsy that did it. I th- once again, I think much of his time at Green Bay was trying to figure out how to get out of Rogers' way and let him do his thing. So, you know, I, you know, I hope he does uh, well with Fields. I, I just don't know if people think he's going to have the same magic that he had with Rogers. Rogers is a he's a he's a rare breed. You're not going to see too many of him come well, to the NFL. Well, we're gonna we're gonna find out. We always spend a minute on uh, on baseball on this show, but baseball is not worthy of more than a minute right now. <laughs> but I guess the first thing I wanted to mention related to baseball is what about this Tyler Skaggs story today? And then they give Matt Harvey immunity, and he says that he's on, he was on opioids and cocaine during games, like on game yeah. day. He's snorting blow and doing opioids which leads me to believe uh, like how many guys are doing that and i don't want to poison everybody else because of one guy but what's your take on that whole story that's pretty crazy stuff yeah it really is uh you think about it though remember years ago when they got rid of amphetamines and um they were concerned because there were a lot of players when you walked into baseball locker rooms the amphetamines were in a jar kind of like uh m&m's and uh, because they had to keep going in you know, tough weather, long games, things like that. And uh, I know you saw a little bit of a dip maybe in games. But, uh, yeah, Matt, uh, Matt Harvey, I think that explains what Matt Harvey's problems were uh, after he started going downhill and after he stopped being you know, the, big, the big stud in New York and the Big Apple because, um, yeah, everybody thought he was the next big thing that was going to be here for a long time, and that didn't happen. I just I, – I have a hard time, and this is just a personal thing, but I have a hard time blaming guys that get the pills for the guys that take them. Um, you know, when I was a kid, and believe it or not, I grew up in the 70s. I was a guy that never, 
I never smoked pot. I was a kid in the seventies, but you know, every, all my friends did and I never did. Everything's a personal decision. And, um, you know, they, they showed that when, when the guy passed away, um, when Skaggs passed away, he had uh, fentanyl and oxy, oxycodone uh, and all that. It's like, come on. I mean, somewhere along the line, you got to be for yourself and it's got to be something that, you know, you worry about. And I understand that players try to get do things that give them an edge. And now what? They, they say they're not going to be testing for steroids. That's, that's yeah, kind we'll, of an issue. We'll see how that thing. ends up working um, out. You know, but uh, yeah. Uh, well, we, all, we, we, we can all go back, uh, Fred, if you want to go back to the past and, you know, in drugs and baseball, I mean, you know, probably the most infamous, infamous uh, one was, you know, 50 years ago when uh, I think Doc Ellis threw a Noah hitter after he uh, snorted some LSD and it was you know, yep. famous for that one. So hey, Phil, you don't snort LSD. So it just shows you're not, a, you're not very experienced on, on hallucinogenics. Oh, I'm sorry. So Fred, what's okay. your take on uh, right. what's your take on this lockout? Today was supposed to be the day that uh, pitchers and catchers reported, and no, they did not report. The players say they want a system without a cap, with a floor, where young players can get paid more and more quickly and are more incentivized for the people that outperform. And I guess their biggest issue is about teams tanking because that's also you know that's also something that holds down salaries as well. But I think it also is a good idea for baseball. But what's your take on? Uh, the issues related to the lockout and what is your level of optimism that will get this thing going over the next couple of weeks in order to avoid missing regular season games? Yeah, not much. Uh, the athletics, um, Ken Rosenthal and uh, Evan Drellich said yesterday that they see, uh, let me got to get written down here. No reason to believe the season will start on time. And that's frustrating because I understand it's a lockout and both sides are at fault here. I don't care that it's a lockout as opposed to a strike. In negotiations, you got to give a little bit. And once the owners get something, it's going to be a hard time. It's going to be a long time for them to give it back. I understand what the players want. It's all about money. They all want more money. They want more money for the young players. But you know what? I think if they changed and got rid of the the Chris Bryant kind of rule, where you know you don't ha- you, as soon as you play your 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 time starts. Uh, I think that would be a good thing. They've already said they're going to up the uh, original pay for first-time major leaguers to, I think, 625000 uh, That's not too shabby. And I understand there aren't that many guys that are first- or second-year guys that show that they deserve big increases. Maybe in their minds there are, but um, they have to realize in the, in the whole scheme and the, and the team situation. So unless both sides give in, the players are going to – Players are going to have to pick one or two things and get the best they can and go from there. Otherwise, I'd hate to I'd hate to miss baseball until May, especially after what we had to deal with two years ago with the the you know, the half a season and everything else. Uh, I was all I was excited about the start of baseball. That's usually what right after the Super Bowl you turn towards it. You turn towards pitchers and catchers reporting. And uh, the the funny thing is is that when it comes to tanking, when the Cubs were doing it. And the Cubs and Theo Epstein were doing it. They basically said, listen, we're just playing by the rules. The rules say we can do this. And they did it to the best of their ability. And I knew at the time that was a bad thing. I hate tanking in all sports. And, um, you know, I, I anything they could do to avoid tanking would be wonderful for me. Um, they're working on a draft lottery. That would be interesting. Um, see how that works out. But, it, you know, I've been mentioning this for years now. Even though the Cubs tanked for like five, six years to get those picks, the picks they got in first rounds of the draft didn't help them all that much. 
Correct. They got Chris Bryant. They got Ian Happ. They got Kyle, Kyle Schwarber and uh, Albert Almora. Okay. Well, one of them is a star. The other guys really, you know, Schwarber is partial star. Almora's on the Mets and nobody even knows and he may even be a free agent now. And we're not sure about Ian Happ. So what the Cubs did was they got Chris Bryant and then went out and made great decisions getting pitching. So technically, even though they tanked for five years, that wasn't what got them to where they needed to be. Yeah, and they made a bunch of deals that actually got them a lot of the key guys, whether it be Rizzo, who they, you know, they made a deal for and other guys, you know, people, even Javi Baez was from the prior, he was a Jim Hendry guy. So yeah, people think that they developed all these young players. They didn't develop one pitcher except for maybe Hendricks. So that is interesting. Now, the same cannot be said about Houston because they developed a whole bunch of guys, you know, and it certainly worked out for them. But yeah, I agree. I think anything that we can do to avoid tanking would be a good thing because these teams are so transparent about the fact that they're doing it as well. So uh, as we uh, sort of hit the last subject around the horn here, let's talk about the Bulls. So the Bulls have been one hell of a fun thing to watch. And thank God without baseball going on, at least for some period of time, we have them to watch, you know, only a half a game out um, of first in the Eastern Conference. I didn't look at the heat score tonight, but they could actually be tied for the for the lead in the in the conference tonight. It's been just a. I mean, I did expect them to be a lot better with the deals they made, and I don't think a lot of people realize that DeMar DeRozan is a hell of a player and was a hell of a player before he got here. I mean, he's a multi-time all-star and, you know, just a, a really good player. Clearly, he is having his best year and one of the best years that any Bulls player um, has ever had in a Bulls uniform. But, Fred, what's your take on uh, on the Bulls season, how that thing's gone, and are you optimistic that they can keep this thing going? I was happy they didn't make any trades at the trade deadline. Some people wanted them to go on out and get a guy, get a big guy. I think you saw what Vucevic has been doing the last week or so. Um, when they get, who knows about Zach now? He's going to Los Angeles because his knees, he's here, he hears a popping in it uh, all the time. That could be tough, but they if they can get Alex Caruso back, Alonzo Ball near the end of the year, if they can get him back, they're a real tough team. They're 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 giving up a lot of points. Yep. They have a lot of points in San Antonio just the other day. I was watching that game and they, they give up so many points. But if you can get Caruso back, Lonzo Ball back, I love what Io's doing. Uh Kobe White has showed this year that he can actually be that guy as the two guards shooting from the outside. He went into a long uh funk, but he's completely come out of it recently. I think he made like 22 of his last 30 three-point attempts. He's been really good. And I think Billy Donovan also is a guy that they love playing for. He he may, he does a really good job getting DeRozan just enough rest, but he doesn't keep him on the, on the bench uh, while the other, while the, the other team comes back and grabs a lead. I love watching them. They're a lot of fun to watch. And like I said, when they were all there at the start of the season, up and down the floor basketball we haven't seen since the Jordan days. It's been great. Yeah, and I definitely, I mean, there's no question that we got to see what in the hell is going on with Zach's knee. I'm glad that he's going to see that surgeon in LA that evidently he has a prior relationship with because there may be a psychological aspect to that as well. And if he thinks there's something wrong with it, and maybe if he trusts that guy and that guy tells him, your knee is fine. You know, it's just a little bit creaky. Don't worry about it. If that makes him feel better, then it's fine with me because we ain't going anywhere beyond maybe the first round unless Levine comes back. But 
I mean, DeRozan has been so dominant. And, you know, the interesting thing about him, too, is that guy, you know, we obviously know about the mid-range, but that guy's got some nuance in his game because something that I just realized today, he is leading the NBA in free throw attempts. He's he's third in attempts per game, but just in total free throw attempts, the guy is first and he's shooting 86% from the line. If you watch that guy and you watch his pump fake and you, I mean, he is like, he gets to the line like nobody that I have maybe ever seen. Well, and another thing I, you, you didn't bring up, Steve, which I'm quite I'm quite surprised is, uh, you know, DeRozan, I believe yesterday, tied an NBA record held with only one other player now, and I believe it's the legendary Will Chamberlain by six straight games of 35 or more points and shooting better than 50% from the field. It's only been done by once again by one other NBA player, the legendary Will Chamberlain. So. I'd love to see him break it tonight. I'm, I haven't been following the game, but it'd be awesome to see him grab that record because he's he's been a superstar beyond belief for the Bulls. This yeah, year. he's uh, he's certainly been been fun to watch, and you know everyone's talking about with uh, with Levine that he should not play in all you know during All Star Weekend in the three point competition or in the game or whatever. As far as I'm concerned, I look at it differently. If if he feels up to it and he thinks he's in good shape, I'd view it as a good sign that he's playing. We also know that uh, you know that he's got the contract situation coming up this summer where he can get the supermax deal. So I'm sure he doesn't want to blow that thing out either. So I, I think the key is going to be just getting everybody back healthy and and no one else getting hurt. And I don't know if it's going to be possible or not. Um, that wrist situation, you know, for Caruso, I don't think that that thing is just going to miraculously heal. Um, you know, Lonzo Ball was a uh, you know was a meniscus, so he should when he's when he's ready to go, he should be fine. Um, but yeah, from a defensive standpoint, they are missing a lot without those guys. So you know, we'll see how it goes. But it's been uh, it's certainly been a hell of a lot of fun. It's been great, especially since you know the Blackhawks have had their their struggles and their problems this year. Not only with uh, their play on the ice, and they won a nice game the other night in Winnipeg, and they had one there, I think, in a couple of years. But, uh, yeah, with all the other problems and with Rocky Words putting his foot in his mouth and uh, everything else, it's been a rough year for the Blackhawks. And um, it's so amazing because if, if I would have asked you guys, let's say, 15, well, 15 and more than that. If I would have asked you guys 15 years ago, who would be a team that would win three championships in six seasons? There's no way you would have said the Blackhawks. And um, when they when they did that, with Taves and Kane and with Coach Quenville, that was amazing. And it's it's a shame that it's turned into what we've seen now. Um, and who knows, we're going to, I think we're seeing the, 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 late, the last few years of Jonathan Taves. So, Yeah, and it's a disaster. And, uh, you know, that Rocky Wirtz press conference actually may have been the highlight of the year. Um, it was just so absolutely nuts. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that on the show a couple of weeks ago. I don't know they're gonna. I don't know if he, they're gonna be rolling him out anytime in the near future because he is not. Uh, he is not engaging uh, with the public particularly well. So let's talk a little cigars here on Cigars and Sports Chicago. We are very fortunate to have Howard Gums Jr., who is the CEO of Howard G. Cigars, and. Ike Taylor. And Ike, as you may remember, 12 years in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, won a couple Super Bowl rings, is now in the cigar business. So, uh, hey guys, how you doing? Glad to have you on. 
Man, I'm good. Y'all said my y'all said my brother whole government name. <laughs> I call I call him Howard G. Y'all call y'all said Howard Gums. <laughs> So All right, we're funny. gonna call. I'm calling him Howie G. That's what I was told to call him, but I wanted to respect the man. Call him by his proper name. Oh, He's okay. Howie G from now on. I'm putting it. I'm putting it in my phone that way. Pleasure to meet you guys. Pleasure to meet you too. So, what'd you guys think of the Super Bowl? You know, we're coming off it. Obviously, you got some experience with those games. Uh, Ike, what was your take? What are your thoughts? And do you think Jalen Ramsey's overrated? Just to, to bring you in there, you know. First of all, Jalen Ramsey is definitely not overrated. Um, he's one of my favorite, other than Aaron Donald. He's my favorite cornerback so far. Um, I like his swag. I like his personality. I like his instincts. Um, and you're going to get beat. And when he does get beat, yeah. he, he don't give a you-know-what. But what makes him so special, he can pretty much play anywhere in that secondary. That's why I like Jason Ramsey. And usually, this day and age, a lot of guys don't like tackling. You know, they tackle because they, they need to. Jalen Ramsey, he tackles because he wants to. And that's the difference between the set Jalen Ramsey, aside from everybody else. That's why he's one of my favorite. He kind of reminds me of a throwback corner. Also, he can catch the ball. He can make picks. And he has to challenge or get on a team's best receiver. That's what I like about Jalen Ramsey. Now, when it comes down to the Super Bowl, I know y'all like the high-scoring points. But for me, that was a beautiful Super Bowl, man. That was a defensive Super Bowl. So, when it came down to the defense making the stance in that Super Bowl, of course, Cincinnati Bengals, they had their opportunity, but, you know, Aaron Donald, he's just something different. He's a different kind of dude. He's special. Them guys don't come around too often, every 15 to 20 years. So that's what makes, you know, Aaron Donald the person he is. And he can, he can retire right now. We're going to put him in the Hall of Fame tomorrow. That's just what it is. But me personally, I thought the Super Bowl was a great Super Bowl. Yeah, it was entertaining for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about Aaron Donald. That guy is just absolutely ridiculous. That guy is ridiculous. So let's talk a little cigars here, guys. So Howard, tell us about Howard G. Cigars and uh, how you got involved with Ike and what you have going on. Give us a little overview. We see, and by the way, we, we're what, looking at you guys right now smoking some cigars. And, you know, maybe Ike, you could tell us a little bit about what you're smoking because we always make sure that we uh that we bring that out but uh howard tell us a little bit about the company and what you guys are doing i'll tell you i've been in the cigar world here in orlando uh 13 14 years now smoking cigars fell in love with the industry fell in love with just the quality of people that i've met over the years um it, it, it kind of became my 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 go-to place my happy place my cheers you know i spend more time at the cigar bar especially Corona Cigar in Orlando. And before you know it, over years, 95% of the people that's close to me in my life now, I met them through somehow through a cigar. A quick thing about what got me started in the cigar business was, I was I'm a drummer. And so I got the luxury of meeting Mr. Avo Uvizian back when he was 85 years old. And in Orlando, uh, he took a liking to me because I was a drummer as well. And so I had to have the privilege to sit outside with him outside of Corona's we would smoke a cigar maybe three, four times a week. Um, and a lot of people don't know that besides being a, a, you know, a legendary cigar manufacturer, he also was Frank Sinatra's pianist. And uh, there's a song he wrote was, you know, Strangers in the Night. And so being out there, hanging out with him, meeting a lot of people over the years, he said something to me when, about a year prior to his, his death. We were sitting together and he goes, you know how he used to be in the cigar business. And I, I, it freaked me out. I was like, me? 
Why, why, why are you talking about me? He says, because you love the people like I love the people. He said, you will do great. And so he is a passing away. And um, about maybe eight to 12 months later, one of my buddies come from Miami. And every time they come to Orlando, they say, hey, let's meet at Corona. So we made at Corona Cigar in Sand Lake, Dr. Phyllis, what we call it. And uh, my buddy Alex. And uh, so he comes to meet me. And by the time I get there, it takes me about 25 minutes to get over there to him. So because it's so packed and a lot of people and just, you know, talking to people. And he says, bro, you're like the mayor here. He's like, you ever thought about being in the cigar business? That brought up that seed that Avo planted a year prior. And I said, you know what? That's what Avo, that's what Papa told me. And he goes, well, you know, we, we do own, you know, a part of a large factory out of Nicaragua. We can make it happen. So that's where everything mm-hmm. started from for, for Howard G. Cigars. Then the pandemic happened and everybody pretty much was shut down. Couldn't go nowhere and stuff like that here. He called me. He says, you know, your cigars have been just sitting and waiting and waiting. Forget about boxes and all that. Let's go ahead and just get some sticks right now. Let's get them out to the people while people... Our, our home on their patios, you know, yeah. just just smoking, just start that way, and that's what I did. Once I did that, Ike's one of my like I call Ike a brother to me. Him and another legend is Leon Cersei. You know, I talked to them and I said, "Listen, I would like to do an all pro series on the cigars, but the difference is I want it to be an authentic cigar. That means that I that you." go through the process and you make the best cigar that your palate loves because you're the two-time Super Bowl champion. Same thing with Leon. You're the three-time national champion, you know, top 14 Jaguar. I, we make the perfect cigar for you guys and it's your favorite, it's authentic, and I can sell it. And I and, and so we went from that standpoint uh, and we've been having a ball. We literally have fun. Our events are extremely fun. The response from the people that comes in, like, hey, Man, this cigar is great, you know, the, especially the, the one of a kind. It's, it's, it's right now in Cigar Snob, ranked as an 89, and, and the sales and people are, are buying the cigars and loving it. Yeah, we found that in talking to our uh, cigar guests on the show and just in our exposure, it's funny you should mention that, that the cigar business has just exploded during the Absolutely. pandemic. You know, particularly in uh, in warmer weather climates like you guys are in where people are outside, but whether it be in the cigar lounge. I mean, I was uh, probably when the pandemic started, I had somehow gotten myself down to two or three cigars a week. Now it's a slow day if I'm not smoking two or three cigars a day. So many people we've talked to and just said the biggest problem has been you know just inventory and supply because stuff's just flying off the shelves another thing you mentioned that was interesting that i think goes overlooked sometimes about cigars and this is actually how i know phil is yeah when you sit around and smoke cigars and you start talking and you sit there in the same same place with the same guys and start telling stories everybody sits in the same chair every time and you, you know you just start talking shit yeah you you find that you make some really good friends that you know learn and it doesn't matter what your background is or where you're from or what your job is you know it's just when you have that in common it's just you know, it's a really it's a really fun cultural thing ike how did you get involved in cigars? When did you start smoking? What are your preferences? Uh, tell us how you how you uh, how you hooked up in this thing. Well, I started smoking a cigar after the first Super Bowl in two thousand five in Detroit. Well, I didn't know anything about cigars, so honestly, my first cigar was an Atabay because I was being kind of bougie, so I wanted to smoke something so called sophisticated. 
But um, I really didn't get in depth to how we kind of, you know, proposed to me like, bro, you want to you want to smoke a cigar? And I'm like, do you want to have a cigar? I was like, yeah, I want to have a cigar. But man, I need you to teach me. I need to learn everything about cigars because I've heard over the course of years just by ear hustling, like a lot of athletes, whether they plan or whether they former athletes, they have cigars out, but their cigars don't sell. Now, their cigar might sell that, that, that first stick, but that second and third stick, ain't nobody buying it no more. So I was like, why? And the reason why was because ain't nobody really putting the, the detail and the time in, in their palate into the cigar. If you got a high-profile name, all you're doing is putting your, your, your name on a, some kind of tobacco. It doesn't mean the tobacco is good, so I wanted to go through the process. So how we took me through the process, we wound up going down and, and figuring out 40 tobaccos, 40 turned into 20, 20 turned into uh, 20 turned into 10, 10 turned into 2. So what Howie found out, him, is, him and his uh, aficionados was like, you know what, I like this Sumatra route. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go 80% Nicaraguan, 20% Lancaster PA, and that's if you don't know nothing about you know, Lancaster, that's Amish country. If you don't know nothing about the Amish people, they're very detailed and they take quality in their craft. Whether it's making furniture, houses, or even growing tobacco or whatever they need from the dirt. So that's why I went with it. So it, it took us a process. And honestly, man, I was probably sick for like 10 days going through them 40 different tobaccos, just figuring out what my palate was. But I, I did, and Howard said this in the beginning. I did want this cigar to be authentic, so I wanted this to be my kind of palate. So just kind of took it from there. But I always tell Howard, man, I always did enjoy the process. I don't mind starting from the bottom and working my way up to the top. Yeah, that's interesting, and certainly you can sell it a hell of a lot better if you're uh, if it's something that you personally love. Howie, what makes Howard G cigars better? What makes them unique? If I were going out to check out some new cigars, why might I like your stuff? Well, I wouldn't say what makes us better. I have too much respect for a lot of the the brands that have paved the way for young brands such as as ours. I would say, what have I learned from the from the companies that we enjoy? And what I've taken out of that is the process. And so when you look at it, first of all, we purchase a little bit more aged premium tobacco out of Nicaragua um, with American Caribbean cigars. We're able to purchase a larger amount of tobacco from them because they have, they produce about 10 to 12 million cigars per year. And so they have an actual a number of when we say we need this many cigars and we can put that blend together. In our, in, our, in our All Pro series, in our Black Moses lines as well, we use uh, out of Esteli, Jalapa, and Omatepi tobacco. We typically use between 8 and 10 year age tobacco from there. Once the cigars are also rolled, we like to let them rest for a minimum of 90 days. On the one of a kind, we do, which is Ike Taylor stick, we let that age a minimum of 120 days. And the reason why is because... A lot of companies in the industry, they're letting their cigars go like in 20 days. And so when you get real aficionados and real guys that really smoke, it's not fair to them if I first get you a product and you love it and you like this cigar is amazing, but then it comes around, you, you, you order it another couple of times, and then also you say, man, you know, Harry, I don't think this is ready yet. I mean, all of us that really smoke cigars know that that's happened before when you're like, hey, is this a sales pitch or is this really what you're saying? Because this batch of cigars were way better than this particular batch. 
So one of the things that we, we like to do is once we a certain amount of pairs that rolls online for us, we get the email, we get the phone calls when certain lot numbers are going into the to the resting room to, to rest after they've been made. And then we control the numbers over here of when that happened. You know, and so now when once we get our product, we know how long each particular line has been rested. So you can get the same consistent quality smoke. That's interesting. If people want to buy Howard G cigars and the All Pro series, including you know, Ike cigars, you know, how do they get in touch with you? Where do you find you guys? Um, where are you at in social media? What's the best way to buy your stuff? Because I know that I will be tomorrow for sure. So where can we buy well, your stuff? If you go to howardgcigars.com, howardgcigars.com, we have the products uh, online as well there, and then also. We, we respect our, our brick-and-mortar locations as well. So if you go on to Howard G. Cigars and you can look at retail locations in your area, if you find it there, you can I, I would tell you to go get it from there as well, from your local brick-and-mortar. But being a new boutique brand, we haven't been around for you know the, the length of times like that, so we still we want to offer it to, for our customers. We ship everywhere across the United States except Utah. Do you have retail in, uh, yeah, there must be a story behind Utah, but do you have, uh, uh, do you have retail in, uh, in the Chicagoland area? Believe it or not, we're not in Chicago yet. Uh, we've gotten some calls and they want us to come to Chicago. That is 1000% on the list for us. What we've been doing is just hitting the different shows, you know, the P, we was at TPE, the PCA, uh, and then we started doing a lot of events. We just got finished with football season. So when you have two legends in, 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 um, that are well-known in, in, in professional sports, you know, we spent a lot of time in that Pittsburgh market. We spent a lot of time in that Jacksonville market. Um, and then also just, just traveling around doing events. We literally have a ball doing events. And so that's been our main way of, of, of contacting uh, individuals and getting to them. We got a retail location for you to break in in, uh, in Chicago if you want. Absolutely. So we're definitely, let us know. We definitely can do that. So, uh, Ike, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, back to football. As you were giving uh, your guy Jalen Ramsey some props, and I agree with you, rightfully deserved. But his play slightly reminds me of one of my favorite defenders of all time and being from Chicago, which I believe was an, uh, a former college team in years. And that would be uh, Charles Peanut Tillman. Am I correct? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to know if, if you got a second, what was it like uh, being a teammate of Peanut Tillman's? And uh, do you keep in touch with him still? We keep in touch on social media, but uh, Peanut IQ for football was above and beyond. You know, Peanut could have played any position. Um, if Peanut wanted to play a few years at safety, he could have played about three or four years at safety. He just so happened to be a dominant corner. And Peanut came up, as we as we call it today, the Peanut Punch. So what I've known from Peanut since, since college, because at the time, don't y'all forget, fellas, I was a walk-on. So I walked on my junior year as a running back. And Coach Gary Bartell, who was the uh, secondary coach at the time, it was like, you're very aggressive. You have good speed. You don't mind hitting. And you're tall. He said, you would be the shortest out of our secondary. Now, picture me at 6'2", being the shortest out of our secondary. So my safety was 6'2", my other safety was 6'3", Charles Peter Tillman was 6'2 and a half. So we had a pretty dominant and tall secondary at the time. But getting back to, to, to Peanut, 
man, he just could do it all. You know, he, he kind of taught me how to, how to watch tape, how to watch film. And I kind of just watched him over the course of years because coming out of Texas, he was a, he was a high recruit. And I wonder why, why the hell he's at Louisiana Lafayette. Then when we talk about his IQ, you know, Pino wind up working for the government. So now he's in the FBI, Secret Service. So that just goes to show you, Pino can put his mind and do whatever he wants to. That's him. You know, yep. But um, he's a legend as well when it came down to, to you know, Chicago, to the Chicago Bears and playing football at Belgrade. He's not just a good dude overall in general, man. He always had his mind right since the day he stepped into Louisiana Lafayette. Well, he always seemed like it. He did, he did a lot to the communities in Chicago. Uh, it just seemed like a great individual, but a, but a fantastic football player to watch. And you're right, his IQ seemed way above everybody else's. And then to see him go into a profession, which I believe he was the oldest person to ever uh, be a rookie in the FBI. So to go through that training and what he's done uh, shows his intelligence. But he always seemed like a great person. Uh, and that's the main thing. So, Phil, why don't you ask Ike his opinion on your old man rant topic about uh, robo-officiating and how it can make it better since you're always complaining about calls and your <laughs> your innovative idea for fixing officiating in the in the NFL. Why don't you go, well, go to you Ike know, on besi- that? You know, you know, besides starting with the uh, – I believe they should stick a chip in that football. I mean, if we're going to use technology – Put a chip in that football so we know when it crosses the line. Um, you know, and it just seems like they're picking and choosing what they want to use technology for. And, I, you know, and it, it, this goes football, goes baseball, goes tennis, you name the sport. If you're going to put technology in the sports, then put the technology in the sports. And, you know, you get down into that phantom Logan Wilson holding call there at the end of that game. They haven't been calling any penalties the whole game. And then, you know, they have that. Well, you know, send it upstairs and, and, and let technology, uh, you know, make a decision because. You're letting them make decisions on, on some plays and not other plays. And, uh, you know, I just think they got a long way to go. But there's certainly some things, as uh, Steve said, my old man rant that I get a little upset about. I don't mind technology, but, right. you know, use it or, or lose it as far as I'm concerned. What's your take on, on technology and officiating, uh, Ike? And how could we make officiating better by using the technology that's available? I didn't, I didn't mind the human error. You know, at the time when I played, you know, referees didn't really. Towards the back end, the referees and the technology kind of came in in 2013 to 14. But at the time I played, we didn't really have that technology. So I didn't mind the human error, you know, because we're all going to make mistakes. Sometimes it costs you, sometimes it don't. Sometimes it can work in your favor, sometimes it won't. That's just what it is. But hell, walk in the light. Well, in the playoffs, it appears that they stop calling penalties for whatever whatever reason they had. That was the funniest thing. So we had the best NFL playoffs ever. For whatever reason, as soon as the playoffs started, there was no more COVID. Nobody ever tested positive ever again. And there were no more pass interference calls. So what was your take on that? all those ticky-tack pass interferences um, this year before the playoffs? You, are you, uh, you in favor of that? What's your thought on that? See, we had the discussion all the time at the, at the, at the cigar lounge at Corona. I'm like, well, when they get when they get to the playoffs, the referees they leave the whistle at home. So all these calls the wide receivers was getting, all these holding calls, all these hits, man. I remember referees used to tell me, man, hey man, tell the tell the wide receiver, man, don't worry about no calls today because we ain't making no calls. And that's just football. Like everything, it heightens when you go to the playoff, whether it's the call, the play caller, and the hitting exactly. So guys got to understand, man. Don't look for the don't look for the referee to give you a call in the playoff. 
Because they definitely ain't about to throw a flag. Unless you're Aaron Rodgers. Although it it didn't help him very much this year. I got a question about Aaron Rodgers. Who watched the NFL uh, award show a couple weeks ago? What the the hell is the deal with Aaron Rodgers' hair? Because somebody cut that shit. I mean, look at that thing. What's going on with that hair? I just can't figure it out. It's driving me crazy. Looked bad during the season, but when he had some product in that thing the other night, I don't know, man. Let let, let that man be great. That's his new swag. Let that man be great, man. The guy can play football, but I, I'm just not sure about that hair. All right, well, uh, it's been great having you guys. Uh, Howie G and Ike Taylor, you guys were uh, terrific. It's been great getting a little insight from you. And uh, and, and uh, once you again, Howard, tell us if we want to get uh, you know if we want to get some Howie G cigars, how, how, some Howard G cigars. Yeah, how do we do go that? to HowardGCigars.com. And uh, while you're at, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on on. Uh, Facebook and Instagram at Howard G Cigars and also one of a kind. I tell you, one of a kind. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for being with us, guys. It was great. We'd love to having you on. Uh, you know, we'll definitely be in touch if you, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll buy some cigars from you. Get an idea. We'll check out the uh, check out the Egg Taylor cigars. See what you got. And it's been fun having we you. Thanks it. a lot, thanks, guys. Pleasure meeting both you guys. Real honor. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, we really appreciate it as we reach the end of Cigars and Sports episode 12 tonight. It's been absolutely great. It's been an honor having you on, Fred. We'd love to having you. We'd love to have you again at some point. We got to uh, got to get get you back over to the place for a cigar. There's no doubt about that. I'm uh, I'm already looking at mine. I I, uh, I looked at some because people told me that some of my old ones could actually be brought back. I told some people I had a whole, so many I was burning some in the fire pit about a couple months ago. Where they like. They almost started shrieking. They said, no, 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 don't do that. I said, I kept some of the good ones. So I'm seeing if I can bring them back. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, cannot wait to get over to the place and have a few with you guys and maybe watch some games down the road. It would be nice if baseball's uh, back soon. We can go and sit and watch some baseball games. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we're there on uh, most days at some point. Again, thank you so much, Fred Hubner, for being with us. It's been great. Phil, good job as always. Thanks, Fred. It's, it was an honor meeting you, Fred. It's uh, looking forward to getting to know you a little better, but uh, it's been great having a uh, absolute legend in Chicago broadcasting and in sports uh, join our new podcast. And, uh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. Cigars fun. and Sports Chicago, Episode 12. Talk to everybody later. Thanks a lot. Come on, under the willow We can have high times if you look back We can discover the wonders of nature Growing in the rushes down by the riverside